BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's your biggest takeaway? I've got it right here. The the Chris Archer deal, I think, is fascinating. The big deal was Chris Archer going again to... The Pittsburgh Pirates, Tyler Glasnow, Austin Meadows, and a player to be named later going back to the Tampa Bay Rays. Again, interesting. You are listening to Rum Buncher Radio. Let's not have that happen Again, if you listen to the top of our episode, we took you back to 2018, uh, a fun time in the lives of Marty Leap and Nick Caparoso. But, uh, you know, a, a time that we look back on and um, I think we question a decent bit of time that put this franchise in a spot that they have still not recovered from. That was because of the 2018 trade deadline. This happened right around uh, the time of Marty Leap's wedding. Thought it might happen on the altar from what we were talking about before we got the episode started here. But the Chris Archer trade in 2018 there just short after and uh, a trade that I think we're going to talk about for the rest of Pirates history uh, because of what it signified for this franchise um, and taking a risk and trying to make it happen at the deadline with a big name. Um, Obviously, that trade uh, did not work out one percent for this franchise. And we could talk about. You know, what what unfolded with Shane Boz and with Austin Meadows and Tyler Glass now thereafter. But uh, I, I think it, it's fitting to start this episode yeah. with the audio from that deal, um, because this is our 2023 trade deadline special. And, um, you know, what we're about to see unfold here, hopefully will not remind us of 2018. Gentlemen, how are we doing today? Excited to talk about guys that are potentially on the way out of Pittsburgh uh, and some potential return as well. But we're going to start the episode out with Carlos Santana as he has been dealt earlier in the week. Before we do that, though, gentlemen, um, do you guys still uh, ever uh, get PTSD flashbacks from 2018 and, uh, and what unfolded that late July? Yeah, I, I, it's just, we, I look back on his laugh at this point for so many reasons. I mean, let, like we set off air before we started. I, I got, today's my wedding anniversary. So first of all, happy five-year wedding anniversary to my wife, Erica. But um, I, so I got married July 28th and, and, you know, Nick and I kept joking that something was going to happen. Trade yeah, mine. I, was, I was the best man in the yeah, wedding. Yeah, yeah. So Nick, Nick yeah, was, Bunner had about three people writing for the site at this yeah. So at the time, I think there was just three of us. I think it was just me, you, and Dave. Yeah. And like I said, I'm getting married. Nick's the best man in the wedding. Like we were convinced that during 
the reception, the ceremony, something was going to happen because we we had been in touch with a couple of sources around the league who were making it very clear to us that Archer to the Pirates was going to happen before the deadline. I still have screenshots of the emails on my phone. I will never delete them just because it's just all of it was just mind boggling as <laughs> it unfolded. Because at the time you're like, oh man, this is great. You know, they'd won like 13 in a row or whatever it was. I think they either held a wild card spot or only like a game out. And you're like, man, they're finally going all in here. You're going to have Archer under team control for, I think it was supposed to be three more seasons. At the time, Jamison Tyone looked like a budding ace. Trevor Williams was looking really good. You're like, man, this rotation is going to be something else for quite a few years. And then the trade happened and everything occurred. And it is what it is. But yeah, it was definitely a wild time as a Pirate fan. And it's just, it, I think the craziest thing to me and the thing that I'll always kind of perseverate most on with the Chris Archer trade is that when it happened, the excitement around the Pirates was some of the highest it's ever been, you know, in, in our lifetimes. Um, the day of his first start at PNC Park against the Cardinals, that place was electric. I remember him showing up to the airport wearing an Antonio Brown jersey and talking about how his mom had some sort of ties to the area. So as a result, he'd been a Steeler fan his entire life. And you're just like, man, this guy gets it. He he came out to black and yellow when he took the mound. I forget what his walk-up song was, but it was something else by Wiz. You're like, all right, this, this guy's just going to fit right in, and this is going to be great. And then he just lost the ability to pitch. <laughs> It's just wild to me because, like, he was that guy that all the teams were trying to get for, like, a couple – like, at least a year prior um, at the prior deadline. Um, and, it, you know, of course the Pirates are the one that get him, and, of course, it doesn't work out. It's like you can't make this stuff up. But, no. you know, one of those things, like we've talked about, when you look back, um, you know, what the Pirates – didn't lose as much as we would have said a few years ago. Tyler Glass now, he's been very good. Um, he's been adamant that basically he didn't feel like he was going to have success in Pittsburgh and he needed to be traded and Tampa saved his career. So who knows if he, like, if he doesn't get traded, he's probably not even with the Pirates anyhow. So there's that. And then, of course, Austin Meadows has struggled to stay healthy outside of you know, one strong season for the Rays and Shane Boz, uh, same can be said for him. He's had uh, trouble staying on the mound. So, you know, at the time, like when that player to be named later came in and it was Shane Boz and that, that name was released, I believe like a few months later because of the old draft rules, it was yes. like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> like, can this get <laughs> at the time? <laughs> yeah. It was like Meadows was, at the time it made sense because they had Dickerson who kind of was like a, a little bit of a breakout for them. And so they were having trouble getting Meadows consistent at bats. Anyhow. Yes. Glass now is the same thing is like, all right, obviously this guy's not working here. That's fine. They can have him. Like you said, people were excited. People weren't even worried about it at first, what we gave up um, just because like, Hey, we went and got Chris Archer. Like it's going to be worth it. And then literally it was not worth it. Yeah, I mean, if I remember correctly, I think I even wrote an article a week or two before that about using Meadows as trade bait because at the time you had Starling Marte in center field who was still under team control for like four more years. 
Gregory Polanco was having the best year of his career in right field and looked like he was finally putting it together. You mentioned Dickerson, who I think they had for at least one more year, if not two. And this was not long after they had traded for Brian Reynolds, who was starting to emerge as one of the top prospects in the farm system at Altoona. So you, you saw the outfield as being a position. That, yeah, and yeah, you just taking yeah. Swaggerty. Yeah. But no, I, I found I found the, the email just for fun and it just simply said pirates are front runners to what I am being told. Other teams like Braves and Brewers are starting to check in on other starters. Talks have progressed with the pirates deal is coming. And that was at one forty-seven on July 29th. So obviously it took about 48 hours or so to dot the I's and cross the T's, but yeah, it's just looking back on it. Like you said, Nick, just of course the one time the pirates make the move, the one time they go and get the guy everybody's after, this is what happens. And I mean, part of that's the risk you take, but yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it's something that will live on in pirate infamy forever. But I do agree with you that that trade did not end up as much of an albatross as people like to make it out to be for a variety of different reasons, but it, it was bad. It was bad. Don't get me wrong, but like the Aramis Ramirez to the Cubs trade will forever be the worst trade in pirate history. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, that's the thing you look at it now and it, it most certainly is not quite as bad and at the time too i mean you know we're talking about a guy austin meadows that like you said might have found himself in a log jam perhaps that's what it seemed like at least and um you know for superstition sake too like the dude came up and the pirates were i think what one nine in his first uh 10 games as a pirate so it, you felt fine with the deal and uh, just the precedent that it set you know the the statement that it made as a as a you know franchise to say well hey we will go out and we will acquire the right guys if it means winning uh you know when we're in contention and um you know as that season unfolded it uh the pirates didn't do a whole lot of winning they fell out of it um and the rest was history but that has led to what has been quite the rebuild here uh that we're starting to see come to fruition a bit and uh you know now as we approach this 2023 trade deadline well, one other thing real quick i'll yeah. catch up and we're still on archer i will say because you mentioned leading to the rebuild i do think that there is a direct correlation there mm -hmm. i think the chris archer trade if you look back on it is ultimately probably what wound up was the beginning of the end for neil huntington i think if that trade's never made i'm not saying that we're still sitting here in july of 2023 with neil huntington as the general manager of the pittsburgh pirates but i think he would have i don't think he would have been fired after 2019 either i think for yeah, yeah. I, I don't think that happens i, hey, I think we, we always say that winning streak was the worst winning it was, streak in pirates history yeah, that was the worst 13 game winning streak in history of major league baseball it, it that winning streak gave a false sense of what that team was to the front office. I mean, kudos to the front office for believing in their players and rewarding them for it. But without that winning streak, that trade's never made. And just who knows what things they, they gave up two decently looked at at the time prospects for, um, Keone Kella too. Yeah, Keone Kella as well. Before the Archer deal, I, I believe that one now and there, that was at like, Two in the morning. morning. Yeah, I remember I got up to I got up because I had to pee. And while I was going to the bathroom, you called me at like two o'clock in the morning. And my first thought was like, oh God, what happened? Because <laughs> you were still awake and they just traded for Keone Kella. <laughs> remember, they couldn't get a hold of Taylor Hearn because he was asleep, and that's why it took the two in the morning. That's to right. right. <laughs> like he had like a bunch of missed calls or something, I think they said. Yeah. But yeah, I mean in terms of setting the organization back, like as much as like the, like what they gave up, 
like I said, looking back may not have set them back. It just like overall, like you said, started the decline of the front office. They they lost literally um, five of their top prospects of their top probably 20 prospects at the time. So anytime you do that, regardless of how they pant, you know, work out or anything, like Marty said, you're taking a risk. And, you know, I think Huntington felt like he had to take that risk because, you know, he was starting to probably be on the hot seat anyhow, just after a couple losing seasons and, you know, from the playoffs, it's one of those natural things. So like Marty said, I think in a way it's good because, like we've talked about looking back at Neil Huntington probably was um, around far too long, but at the same time he did get us to the playoffs. So it's hard to argue against that, but the guy in terms of drafting um, just not good at all. Anyhow, my point is uh, I don't think it set our organization from a player standpoint back. I think Neil Huntington had already done that himself I think this kind of like Marty said, just kind of uh, got the ball rolling uh, a little more on the process of moving on from him. Yeah. yeah. I, I just, I was going to say, you know, every, everything runs its course in life and that's just where it was at. I've always said, and this will be our last, last comment we can make on this. <laughs> we'll persist yeah. all day, but I've always <laughs> said down the road, there will be a time when people will look back on the Huntington hurdle era and remember it fondly because of what they did accomplish you know, three postseason bursts, four winning seasons in six years. I've always there, – there will be a day at PNC Park where they'll have some sort of pregame ceremony for those two once once enough time has passed <laughs> and the scars have healed and the wounds have healed and people will look back on it fondly for what was accomplished during that time. 100%. I mean, this is, you know, the only winning that a lot of people ha- have seen – I don't want to say a lot of people have seen in their lifetimes, but, you know, for, for people like us, for people that were born – uh, you know, post 1995, post 1990. That's just, those are the only two gentlemen that uh, that brought this franchise winning seasons, playoff bursts. Um, and, and who knows? You know, I don't know if it is uh, necessarily a direct correlation. And, and Marty, I know you're history buff here, so please tell me if this analogy is just way off. But uh, it's kind of like the Revolutionary War. The Boston Massacre maybe was not the reason that it happened, but um, you know, it's an event you can point to here, like this trade that uh, that was monumental and um you know what it meant for that regime and for what it was going to look like in the future they took a risk and that's why i think it's hard to complain with what they did um because you know when you're in that situation i think it'd be easy to you know to 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 want your cake and to eat it too or, or whatever the phrase is but um you know we can't complain when they do uh, take leaps of faith like that. And the Pirates were, were, were caught up in the fun of uh, what I think was, what, an 11, 12-game winning streak at the I time. think it got to 13, actually. <laughs> yeah, in Cleveland, yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it was a, a five-game sweep in Pittsburgh of the Brewers, who I think were in first place at the time, too, that led they into that all-star break. header against the Indians that – I think it was Trevor Williams maybe threw a complete game in one of them. And it was just one of those stretches where you're like, man, there's something actually happening here. But – uh yeah, no, it, it was, it, yeah, it just it, the way it unfolded after that. I, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you everybody for for taking a trip with us back to 2018, and happy anniversary, Marty. Thank you. Um, I think it was what the the rehearsal dinner post rehearsal dinner is where Cole Tucker was. Uh, yeah, was it uh, when we went to the bar after the reception on wedding day uh, when we I got married in Altoona, and uh, Cole Tucker was at the bar that night. 
And so I, I come walking out of the bathroom and Nick's standing there talking to him and my buddy, John, John, little listener of the show. So I'm sure you, you'll, you'll hear the story, even though you, you probably told it a million times as well. Um, so we're, we're standing there. He goes over, we're talking to Cole Tucker. We're taking pictures with him. It's great. We, I remember putting pictures on Facebook and somebody saw it and texted me. And they're like, hey, you might want to be careful. I'm not sure if Cole Tucker's 21 yet. Because it was like 1130 at night at a bar. And I was like, oh, shit. I probably just got him in all kinds of trouble with the Pirates. Although he turned 21 like literally like 15 days before my wedding. So just just barely under the cut. But uh, yeah, no, it was, it was it was a pretty cool experience. Helping him bring it in. Helping him bring it in there. Um, that one worked out too, right, Cole Tucker? With it? No. It, uh, it was a, a brutal stretch there. It has led us to this moment in time, gentlemen. 2023, a year that, you know, got off to an extremely hot start. And um, there was a, you know, serious debate in May, even, uh, you know, in parts of June, where it's like, is this team going to buy or are they going to sell? Is this team going to find themselves in a position where they're trying to add at the deadline? It has become blatantly obvious through uh, you know, a month of July that saw five wins that um, this team is sellers. And I think it was probably obvious before that as well. We've seen one gentleman, Carlos Santana, uh, became official on Thursday afternoon, might have uh, been dealt the night before from what we're hearing. But Santana headed to Milwaukee, um, you know, the second year in a row, gentlemen, we see one of the, the veteran names on this pirate squad get dealt within the division last year. I think we um, you know, are satisfied to the return to this point for Jose Quintana to the Cardinals, but it's going to be Yanni Severino coming back for Carlos Santana. Interesting, um, you know, prospect here, gentlemen, a, a really high ceiling international player from um, 2021 year that Tony Blanco was brought into this organization. Uh, what does this mean? What does this trade return tell you, gentlemen? And um, how did you guys feel about this deal overall? I mean, all in all, I think it's a pretty fair return for a 37-year-old who his best calling card at this point is his glove. Um, I mean, right now, I think if the season ended today, Carlos Santana's probably the gold glove winner in the National League. But he just he doesn't have the same pop in the bat he used to. I mean, he's going to always give you a quality of bat. He's going to give you a professional bat. He just doesn't doesn't have the power he once did. So considering his age and what he's produced this year at the plate, I think it's a pretty fair return. Um, Nick, I know it's a return you like a lot, and I'll let you take the ball with this. But, you know, this is definitely better. Trading him for the potential high-end lottery ticket 18-year-old, give me that over some scrub reliever who, you know, might come in and pitch a few innings this year and then get jettisoned out next year anyway. Yeah, I mean, that's what happened to the Kansas City Royals when they traded Santana last year. Um, they got two uh, relief pitching prospects back from the Mariners. Neither of them are um, worth anything to them. So, um, yeah, I mean, like you said, when you are taking an 18-year-old versus a 23-year-old, you know, you believe you're getting more value. Okay, It's very similar. You know, we were talking to the Tony Watson trade of you know many years ago where everyone was kind of like that's that's what we got for for our closer was an 18 year old yeah but like the belief was hey he might not be a top prospect now but he's going to turn into one okay and that's what they're that's what they're seeing here um he was one of the top uh prospects in his international class uh 21st in 2022 like you said we also signed um tony blanco jr and Jordani De Los Santos, who were both also ranked inside the top uh, 15. So that gives us um, three prominent prospects um, from that, that group. Um, you look at 
the way Ben Charrington has operated. You know, look at the draft this year. He took a boatload of college pitchers. He likes to build waves of prospects, it seems like. And I think he obviously him slash uh, junior Vizcaino, who is our head of international scouting, um, you know, very heavily involved in the signing of Tony Blanco and um, Yordani De Los Santos. So like, I'm assuming he had a lot of input on this as well. And if there's one person that, you know, I trust in the organization, um, you know, he's someone who has a very, very good reputation. And since taking the job over from uh, Rene Gallo, um, he's done, you know, night and day. But anyhow, my point is kid gets 1.23 million. Pirates pro- probably didn't have the money to make that work then because of the, the budget pool that they were given. And De Los Santos and Blanco themselves ate up a large percentage of that bonus. So for the Brewers, they were, you know, he was their second highest paid bonus that year. You know, it just is a lot of things where I, I don't know. He got one point two three million. So I, I look that put that puts him. You know, it's a day one draft pick. I mean, if if you would turn around and say, "Hey, we're gonna trade um, Carlos Santana for Xander Muth," I mean, would you do that? I mean, if if I'm the, they I'm I'm not giving up Carlos Santana for Xander Muth. That's for certain. Not at this point. But that's what I'm saying. Like, oh yeah, no, yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, the value is is in the same ballpark. If you look at from a draft standpoint, from a bonus standpoint, kids 18. He doesn't have a lot of at bats. I am wondering because he's not listed on any of the top prospect lists, and I'm just wondering if there's not a lot of data on him. Um, you know, when you go to fan graphs, you usually can get a future value for pretty much any, any player and they don't have one for him. So I'm thinking there's probably not enough data from him yet for him to be on these lists. But at the time when he was signed by the Brewers, he had a 40 future value of MLB pipeline, which is exactly about what the Pirates should have got for Carlos Santana. Um, like Marty said, you're talking a rental glove first guy, the bat isn't as impressive as we think just because, well, when your lineup struggles the way ours has this year, you know, just a consistent guy like Santana is going to look impressive. I had a good year at the bat, but not a great year. 99 WRC plus. So just about league average Mm. at the plate. I know Brewers fans aren't, aren't especially thrilled because, they 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 need offense. The, that know? Brewers lineup needs a lot more than Carlos Santana. Yeah, and that's a lot of the comments I'm seeing is you know great glove first, great a guy with a seven something OPS like you know so a lot of people think we could have got more. Again, let's see what this 18 year old prospect turns into two years from now. He very well could be one of our top 15 prospects. You just never know. He sounds very intriguing. Um, sound He's not – so he was signed as a shortstop. It sounds like he's playing third base. And Fangraphs, they did have a note on him uh, that they think he could project into right field eventually, which, again, like, 
you know, for the Pirates, that might be something they consider doing just because of the lack of quality outfield prospects in the system. Um, but yeah, we'll see. I think, you know, it's one of those, it's a lottery ticket trade. It's what you do when you sign those old, older veterans. Um, and again, like, like I told my one buddy, it's the deadline. Uh, pitchers always go for more than hitters at the deadline. So, you know, when you look at the the market of what the pitchers are bringing back, it's hard to compare it to the market that a, you know, 37-year-old first baseman only um, with limited offensive upside is going to bring you. Yeah, I just uh, – one note, though, on Carlos Santana is he will finish his career with the Pittsburgh Pirates with a 412 slugging percentage. So uh, shout out to to Santana for embracing the 412 completely in his Pirate career. Yeah, yeah. Not – you know, 412 slugging percentage, nothing to get – too upset about losing in your lineup either though in all seriousness yeah yeah i know yeah i know all all joking aside absolutely (laughs) that's what i'm saying like for like we just we've had such bad offense like he's just been consistent all year and if if you're a good if you're a good lineup if you're a good lineup carlos santana's in the bottom third of your lineup and and you're happy with that yes because he's playing gold glove first base and absolutely not striking out yes but with the pirates, it's like, he's not a four hitter, <laughs> but who like, who else are you going to put there? You know, at least, you know, Santana's going to give you a quality. Because we put him in the four spot. Doesn't mean we should get like a return, like a four or a four spot. For the <laughs> exactly. Yeah. If we value him enough, maybe uh, they'll value the return. Um, yeah. And it just feels like a classic brewers move too. Um, for, for how they want to structure that lineup. So they had a veteran in Carlos Santana, the pirates, uh, we'll add a youngster and, and a lotto ticket, yes. But um, like you said, Nick, I mean, you'd just much rather have this situation than getting a 4A player, getting somebody that's just not going to mean a lot for this franchise, especially not with, um, you know, with the window of contention. So you, you build another wave, like you said. Uh, yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. Like, I think if anything, this this trade shows the front office, whether they're right or wrong, I'm not – We'll see. Like I said, let's see what the kid turns into. But the front office very much had their eyes set on on Severino, it seemed like. You know, first off, to make an interdivision trade, um, you know, like you said, it's rare. It's happening more in today's game. But still, we heard that the Marlins, uh, Ken Rosenthal said the Marlins made a late push. You would think you would prefer to trade them there if you're getting the same quality. Like I said, they must have really wanted this kid probably a couple of years ago. And it just shows their willingness to, I guess, at least like ha- they have players identified who they specifically are trying to get. And mm-hmm. that's not always the best, uh, I think, for negotiation tactics. But again, when you're training a rental guy like Carlos Santana, you know, if, if you're getting a guy that is on your list, you know, then, then you're, you're, you're going to make the deal. <laughs> and I think that's kind of what happened here with the pirates. No, and maybe it's, maybe there's a, a small piece of these, these general managers of these front offices that, that think, you know what, if we trade within the division, if we give this team a piece that helps them win now, 
when our window of contention comes around, they're not going to be good because they're winning now. And uh, we're just lining it up so we can win the division. I don't know. It's probably uh, probably not the case, but it is another trade within the Central, this one with Milwaukee. Carlos Santana, Johnny Severino uh, on the return here. So the first, uh, you know, I guess bigger headline that the Pirates were a part of in this trade deadline. And we got, um, you know, we got a bit of a tip off to this one. Didn't know exactly what this week in general, was going to look like, but uh, Carlos Santana goes Milwaukee. Some other big headlines this week, of course, Shohei Otani. The Angels come out and, um, you know, announce that they're not going to be trading him this deadline. They're going to try to win now, which led to Lucas Giolito being shipped out west from Chicago to Anaheim. Um, some other Anaheim. Yeah, <laughs> interesting deal. Let's, uh, let's sidetrack real quick here, kind of talk about the other stuff going on this week and how it's setting up. The upcoming deadline here. Um, just start with with all that stuff going on Anaheim. Do you guys agree with uh, with this move? I don't know if anybody agrees with most of what they've done there, but do you guys agree with um, holding on to Shohei, trying to make it work now? I I have less of an issue with holding on to Otani because I've said before it to me it's similar to when the Edmonton Oilers trade away in Gretzky. It's impossible to get equal value. It's impossible to get an appropriate return, and it's just going to be a PR nightmare and disaster. What I don't agree with is when you're four games out of a postseason berth and your team just isn't very good and your farm system sucks and then you trade two of your top three prospects <laughs> away for two rentals. Um yeah, I don't know. If I was an Angels fan, I, I've always said as well, being an Angels fan has to be worse than being a Pirates fan because you have the two best players of this generation, one of which in Shohei Otani, I would argue, is the most talented man to ever play the game of baseball, and you still can't make the postseason. <laughs> and tra- tra- trades like this are why you still can't make the postseason despite having Otani and Trout and you've only gone to the playoffs once and Mike Trout's what now 11 or 12 year career and you were swept. Um, yeah. Anaheim is just, there there are a few organizations and sports that I would argue are run worse than the Anaheim angels. Yeah. I'm kind of with you, Marty. It's one of those things. Like if they go, if they go out and get someone who has another year of control or something like that, sure. But, but, you have a bad farm system. You're giving up two of your top prospects. Like I said, look what we just got for Santana. It shows the difference in the market for pitchers. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Like if the Pirates do, um, you know, trade Rich Hill, I, I think we should expect a better return for him than we got for Santana. Um, I'll be disappointed if not. But it's just it's where the market is right now, especially with Hill. There's like half of his former teams need starting pitching and are going to the playoffs. So it's like I'm sure one of them will want him back. Lucas Giolito, okay, he has a 1.5 order this year. Okay, what do you think Rich Hill has? Probably about the same. <laughs> Rich Hill is sitting at 1.1. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so not that far off. Um, you know, Lucas Giolito is is one of those guys who's a lot more name than he is product. Um, same with Ronaldo Lopez has turned himself into a solid reliever. He was a busted starting pitching prospect. But I don't know. It was a weird deal. I mean, they're being applauded for being aggressive, which, like, I guess good for them. But 
you know, they might as well they they might as well go all in on this now. Here's my thing too, despite that trade, because my buddy John texted me this the other day and I agreed with him wholeheartedly. Would you be even the least bit surprised if they go to Toronto this weekend and just get swept and you're seven games back and seven games back on July 31st? I'm sorry, I don't care who you are, you're done. You are done. Like they just did they have they have to go on a crazy tear. I don't think people realize how hard it is without either you getting insanely hot or with the team you're chasing, and in their case, multiple teams just absolutely tank it out to make up four games over the course of six, seven weeks or whatever it is. That's not easy to do. So, uh, yeah, there I I don't get it. If I was an Angels fan, I would not be even the least bit happy. You can't be, and uh, we have uh, Vienna Caparoso appearance here Breaking on the podcast. Uh, man, this is this is excellent. I we've we've gotten to talk to Vienna a little bit in our show history here. Vienna, uh, what do you think the Pirates are about to do the rest of this deadline here? Where's Where's Rich Hill going? Is David Bednar going to be traded? Doesn't look like she's in the mood right now, so uh, I, don't, I won't press her too much here. But good to see you, Vienna. Uh, and, and I hope everything is well. <laughs> He's giving us the way. Trey, you're the last one. You're the only one who hasn't had kids come running on in the podcast <laughs> and background yet in three years. So you better get the move right. on. No, I'm just trying to hold down the board. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, it's yeah, a little bit of a scary thought there, Marty. But I'm just uh, I'm letting you boys go ahead and you know knock out all of these first, so I have the uh, I have the lesson planned for when that does come around here. But. It's, oh, yeah. uh, it's great to see you, Vienna. And, uh, you know, at some point, we are going to have to get her thoughts here. I think um, this has been an interesting first season for her as well. She, she got the full offseason, uh, I guess. She had a lot of – she was excited for them back in, in April, that's for sure. <laughs> She's had a roller coaster ride as a Pirates fan because she was around for the you know bringing back McCutcheon, some of the offseason moves, and a, a really fun start. Um, and, you know, what's become – not the most fun season. So I think this has been a great first year. She can get all, all the emotions out of the way here. Uh, gentlemen, let's talk about the Pittsburgh Pirates, what they're going to do this trade deadline. Um, you know, and I think it's interesting to look at moves like that because it gives you a, a reading on how baseball feels right now, where the value for pitching is still in 2023. Let's start with Rich Hill. Just touched on it there a little bit. Rich Hill – we knew what it was going to be when this season begun. And, um, you know, I think it, at times it's been an extremely nice surprise. There's been a couple starts, even really just a couple innings that um, you expect with a guy that is the oldest player in Major League Baseball. What can we expect as far as return? Uh, and if you, if you had any teams that you gentlemen think are maybe kind of the, the leaders right now for Rich Hill, who would that be? I think yeah. – uh, No, go ahead. Sorry. No, all right. Um, First and foremost, I did want to bring up just because we were just talking about war. Uh, Carlos Santana's war with the Pirates was one flat. So, again, like Rich Hill, a little bit higher than that. A pitcher, a lefty, a veteran, playoff experience. Like I said, former teams such as Tampa and the Dodgers who are looking for starting pitching help and have plenty of prospects to share. You know, I, I just think those two teams, you know, make a lot of sense at this point for Hill. Um, the Rays, obviously, especially because of Hill's, you know, they, they can use him in a lot of different ways, especially with, with an opener, um, you know, type of thing. So 
I think those two teams make a lot of sense, uh, and we'll see exactly when that happens. I know he's due to start here um, the day before the deadline, I believe. So, you know, I could see that happening sooner rather than later. Yeah, I mean, as of now, I think he's scheduled to start, like you said, Sunday. Um, I definitely could see a scenario, though, where that start doesn't happen and he's moved ahead of it. You always want to try and do that with starting pitchers this time of year if possible anyway, but especially when the guy's 43. Um, I, I think, like you said earlier, Nick, he'll have a little more value than people think. Yeah, he's older, but he's going to consistently give you five, six innings. He's pitched a ton in the postseason. He's pitched extremely well in the postseason also. Um so, you know, you mentioned some teams, some other teams I could see. I know Miami's looking for starting pitching. That's a team that the Pirates have seemingly been tied to nonstop for two years now, even though they haven't worked out a trade yet. Um, I think the San Francisco Giants could be a team to watch. The Giants need starting pitching help pretty badly. So I could see them being in on this as well. Um, maybe Arizona, but Arizona certainly seems to be more. And same with Texas, two teams that could use a starter, but those are two teams that seem to be more interested in pursuing controllable guys. And I think with Arizona and Texas, you're looking at two teams whose windows are just starting to open. So, you know, maybe if like a Mitch Keller's moved, those might be landing spots more so than for Rich Hill. But yeah, I, I will be, I'll be absolutely stunned if Rich Hill is a pirate past Tuesday. Most certainly. I mean, it, it just makes all the sense in the world. And it uh, made even more sense when yesterday, as we record here on Friday, John Hammond, 2.13 p.m. Central time, that is, so 3.13 Eastern. Pirates are getting a lot of hits on Hill, Bednar, Keller, and Holderman. Let's get into these other guys here. Obviously, Rich Hill has been we, – we've been mocking trades for quite some time now, but um, – Let's go to Keller next. I, you know, you, you read this tweet and uh, certainly think they're listening, but how realistic is it that the Pirates, uh, you know, would trade away their ace this deadline? I, I think it's more realistic than people think. And here's yeah. why <laughs> I think a lot of people fail to forget Mitch Keller's been in the majors for quite some time already. He's only controlled through 2025. The odds of this team contending in 2024 are pretty slim. So Keller's probably not really a part of this core as much as you think he is because he's only got two years left on his deal. I mean, obviously you'd love to work out an extension there if you're the Pirates, but if that doesn't happen, I don't think trading Mitch Keller is completely out of the realm of possibility simply because he's only got two more years of control past this year. And, Unless they go crazy spending money this offseason, and we know that's not going to happen, it's hard to envision them contending next year. You're probably looking at, if all goes well, having more of a finished product in terms of your major league core by this time next year and set up to try and start making a run in 25. But, yeah, I'm not going – I don't think Mitch Keller will be moved. I'll preface it by saying that. But I don't – I won't be surprised if he is, and I don't think it's as much of a reach – as people think for Keller to be moved. Yeah, Marty, I'm again on the same page with you. It's one of those things like at first you're like, oh, no way. Like we got to extend him. But then you take a step back and it's like, oh, then you start to see him struggling a little bit again. And you're like, okay, so what's going to happen here, right? Well, you know, we talk about – the Pirates need to be like these other small market teams who have success. Teams like the Rays, obviously. And, and you know, 
is Mitch Keller our Chris Archer right now? Like in a way, you know, is he falling off to a point where if they trade him now, they're selling at his highest peak before he regresses, you know, like we're seeing a little bit, or is this a bump in the, in the road for him, you know, and he gets through it. And then, like you said, then you have him in the next year and, you know, at a solid veteran at the top of the rotation. The other thing you have to consider in here and, you know, fans are going to love to hear this, but he, he is currently fifth in uh, strikeouts, I believe, in Major League Baseball. Uh, that That's going to get him a lot of money in arbitration. And he was an all-star, which is also going to get him money in arbitration. So second year of arbitration, looking at a significant, you know, raise, um, probably doubling his salary. So, you know, it's not, um, like you said, it's not all around the possibility. It, it makes sense from a front office standpoint why you would consider it. Um, like you said, I think it comes down to if they want to extend him or not. If they plan on trying to extend him, then you keep him because you don't have to trade him now anyhow. But if you don't really plan on getting into extension talks with him, then, I mean, if the right deal comes along, like you said, you, you got you to gotta make the deal. But, again, I don't think um, that's something that we, should, we necessarily should prepare for. Mm-hmm. It's wild that control does only go through that 25 season. I mean, this is a guy, you know, can we uh, maybe just act like his contract started when he started playing good baseball? Uh, but, you know, it has been a bit of a, a hiccup here. So maybe it is right. Maybe, um, you know, they do have those plans on their mind. And it would it would fit with the style of, uh, of, of this rebuild, of what this regime has tried to do to get this team back to winning baseball games. So, um, yeah, you know, I don't think it is out of the realm of possibility. David Bednar, also, you know, a guy that seemingly just wouldn't be traded from Pirates, a guy that's from Pittsburgh, you know, another one of the, the two all-stars this season. Um, you know, a guy that's been one of the best closers in baseball, but that means a lot of value there as well. And, and this one, you know, the more the time goes by, the closer we get to this deadline, the more it just seems realistic that they will trade David Bednar and, um, you know, you, you salivate over the potential return here. Um, uh, let's maybe let's go percentages. Gentlemen, do you have a percentage uh, of the chances that David Bednar is dealt away? It's definitely higher for him. I think than Keller and then should be. Yeah. Relievers are volatile, man. I know Bednar has been great, but we saw him go through a rough patch last year. Um, I, I, if David Bednar wasn't from, if he wasn't from Pittsburgh, (laughs) this would be looked at much differently. I, I, a hundred percent, 100% believe that if, Bednar did not graduate from Mars. This 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 conversation is totally different. But again, he's only got three more years of control after this. Which I mean, three uh, the, the two versus three, I think, is a big deal for the Pirates because if all goes according to plan, hopefully you're looking to contend by 25. And you know, you but again, relievers blow up out of nowhere all the time. I am 100% on board. I'm team trade them. Sell high, see what you can get for him. I also firmly believe, you know, if you're able to move him and net a starting pitcher, you're able to net an everyday position player or 
you know, two, three, four quality relievers, your overall roster is better with that on it than it is with David Bednar. So, and I think part of the conversation here too, is you have some young arms in that bullpen who have shown some good things to still be guys you can build around. You know, Carmen Majinski looks absolutely filthy so far. Dowie Moretta's had some ups and downs, but he looks like a quality high leverage arm. Jose Hernandez, same thing. You have other arms down there you can build around if you move Bednar. Um, yeah, like I said, if David Bednar was not from the Pittsburgh area, I don't think this is this conversation is totally different, and it doesn't anger people the way it does. But I'm I would trade him. I I would be very aggressively shopping him, and if I get a deal I like, I'd move him because just look at the look at the market last year for relievers. I wanted them to move him last year, and then he got hurt. But it, it's teams will get silly this time of year for bullpen help, especially a truly elite reliever with three more years of control, no matter how good a relief pitcher is, a starting pitcher or an everyday position player will always carry more value than even the best reliever in baseball because they just have a bigger impact on the game. But so if you, again, if you can net that form, move them. I, I, I would be very aggressively shopping David Bednar these next 72 hours or whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, this goes back to what I was saying before. Like if, if this is a small market team that we want to, Obviously, we, we want that winning to start as soon as possible. But if we want to be, you know, set up a foundation to be like the Rays and you got to make these deals, mm-hmm. um, it's a reliever. He's going to throw 60 innings for you and you're going to have the first overall pick potentially again. Yeah. I mean, what next year he could do the exact same thing. He could throw a 135 ERA like he has right now and it would change literally – nothing about the team yep. right it would still suck so my biggest thing is like i i like him like you said he's been great i like a good closer but what's the point of a good closer on a bad team mm-hmm. that's not where you're building around um you know that's that's one of those pieces you like to have when you're probably a little closer to competing and like you said with the market um we see for pitching right now i, I believe you could really get you know, uh, something that could impact this team significantly, you know, as soon as this year, honestly. Mm-hmm. So I think it should be on the table. You have teams looking to be aggressive. Like you said, Texas, I think. Uh, Arizona sounds like they're pretty in on him. Both have good farm systems to work with. So I, I wouldn't rule that out uh, at all. The thing that scares me about Bednar, too, is like, you know, we're seeing him come out of the all-star break seems like he's working up again, up in the zone. And last mm-hmm. year, that's what was happening. And then all of a sudden, he won the IL. He's not built like a prototypical pitcher. He's also older than people think. I think he's like 28. He 29. is what I have in front of me here. Yeah, he's, he's almost 29. He turns 29 in October. So next year, he'll be 29. Yeah, so like it's not like, you know, a back issue going into your 30s. That, that's, that's worrisome. And, and, you know, you, you mentioned small market teams. I know this is not an apples-to-apples apples comparison, but look what the Milwaukee Brewers did last year with Josh Hader. That, again, if you're a small market team who wants to sustain success, this is how you handle relievers. You would never see the Tampa Bay Rays keep a reliever or extend a reliever like people have said no matter what. You would never see – Cleveland do that whenever Oakland is trying to win instead of trying to be so bad they can move the team you would never see them do that and those have kind of been you know the three gold standards for small market teams in the last 
you know, since the turn of the millennium, really. So you would never see them do that. We just saw, just look across the division in Milwaukee and what they did last year with Hader. They had a replacement in Devin Williams. They moved on. That's just how this needs to work with relief pitching, especially as a small market team. And if they were in the playoff hunt still, it'd be a completely different. different. Exactly. Even if they were like on the, just like the very outside looking in, you know what I mean? But they're out of it. Yeah. Like everything, like a relief pitcher can be on the table, you know, and it's, man, I hate to bring this up. But I'm going to, and Marty, you already know what I'm bringing up. I know up. where you're going with it because we've talked about this many a times before. <laughs> the L.A. Dodgers, what was it, 2019? <sighs> yeah, yeah it was the 19 yeah. deadline when they didn't pull the trigger on he who should not be named. And <laughs> look where that's – I mean, again, now this is not – we're not saying something like that's going to happen, but that's your lesson. When, the, when that deal's there for a reliever, take it. Neil Huntington was offered – in some capacity, <laughs> Tony Goslin, Gavin Lux, Dustin May, and Kybert Ruiz. In some you know, form of that, they were offered some of those players. It was like looking at a three to four prospect package. I think Josiah Gray's name was getting thrown around. He had years of control left um, at that point. So, again, like if I had to guess – you're, you could very well be trying to get a similar type of haul. Yes, you know, and I think that that was all realistic, but I, I still put on my conspiracy glasses at times and wonder, you know, what all what all everybody knew there. But when the discussions were going on, and even up until, uh, you know, no move was made, certainly um, one of those, if not a couple of those guys were – uh, you know, we're potential pirates. Uh, let, let's see what they can do this year. You feel like similar return is is due for David Bednar. And they're going to, uh, you know, potentially be trading other relievers as well. Holderman, gentlemen, was in that tweet. What does that return look like in comparison to David Bednar? And um, do we, you know, do we expect him to even be moved? So I'm just going to comment first on why his name is being brought up. I think it's honestly mainly teams that are probably calling on Bednar and then asking, okay, what about Holderman? You know, these are teams that are obviously looking for bullpen help. Some of these teams already have an established closer. um, So they might not necessarily even be looking at Bednar as a ninth inning guy for them. But that's what I'm, that's what I'm thinking is probably occurring. Cause I was, I think everyone was a little caught off guard to see Holderman's name on there. So I, I think it might just be a little bit of a pivot um, by, by these teams. Yeah. You know, I wrote, I wrote an article earlier in the week about players who are most likely to be traded. And I mentioned there being, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a reliever not named David Bednar move because the pirates do have some sneaky bullpen depth. I mentioned Angel Perdomo just because as a lefty, teams are always going to want that lefty up out of the bullpen. But it, it wouldn't surprise me to see Holderman move. Like Nick said, there's probably teams calling on Bednar. They get what the asking price is, and then they pivot, hey, what about Holderman? Um, I, I, with Holderman, I think he could probably net a little bit better of a return than you would think because he has so many years of control. And – you know, he he has struggled at times this year pitching in high leverage situations, but if you get him into a deeper bullpen where you don't need to be using him in the eighth and ninth inning, I think that would do him a lot of good also. 
Um, but I, I, I just there, there's a hundred guys out there like Colin Holderman. Replacing Colin Holderman in the bullpen would not be like that. That's not something that drastically changes your long term outlook. So if you can get a piece or two for a guy like Holderman or Perdomo, Dowie Moreta, whoever it may be that you like, take it. Just, All four of those players have significant team control left too. Yes. Like Perdomo, I think he's like 28, but I think literally he might have five years of control. Yeah, he's thrown like 19 major league innings before this year. So he's got at least five years of control, I think. Plus Moretta, you know, is definitely up there towards five years as well. Yeah, he'll be, he'll be five after this year. So, and like you said, it's weird to say, but we do, even if, while it might not be sneaky depth, bullpen, like, depth right away we have we have guys in the in the minors who it like it's time to we need mm-hmm. to open up some spots someone we talk about on here a lot um selby you know he's he's on the 40 man it's time to get him up he's been pitching down triple a open up a spot for him while being able to bring back um you know some other pieces again i'm 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 pretty pro team trade relievers so i'm all for it but man you know it's just frustrating because the reactions aren't going to be good i feel like no matter what (laughs) yeah even if you look back at neil huntington during those winning years he was willing to trade his relievers like just in season even he was willing to trade relievers jason grilly joel hanrahan like you can survive without having a good closer Mm -hmm. because really if you're not a good team you're not a good team so one of one of the best trades neil huntington made was trading justin wilson for francisco cervelli like he wasn't afraid to move and that just goes to show if you can get an everyday position player something like that for a reliever you do it um yeah so it's just the, the least of this team's issues is has been the bullpen and protecting a lead late in games. So like they, they have pieces there that will have value. And you mentioned being frustrated. Like what, what I think is most frustrating to me is we're this far along into this thing. And we're still sitting here talking about selling off pieces. We're talking about moving guys with control because we don't see next year being any better. Like that's, what's frustrating to me most is we're, yeah. like, we're almost four full years into this and, do you f- feel like we're still at least a f- another full season away from seeing the Pirates play meaningful second half baseball? You know, it doesn't feel that long ago we were talking about Adam Frazier potentially to the Oakland A's. You know, and that was like you said, it's been it's been years now, and we're still in the same spot. Yeah. For our listeners, I want you guys to understand, like a lot of what we're saying on here isn't necessarily what we want them to do or what we believe as fans but just you know from covering this team now for almost eight years you know what what have we learned and you know how do we think they're going to operate Mm -hmm. okay so you know like we said do we want them to trade keller or bednar you know it'd be great for them to stay around and be on good teams but being the, the pittsburgh pirates the way they need to operate the way they think they need to operate you know this is this is how um, they're gonna do it. The 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 big thing is is if they can they can have success in funneling the talent 
um, like we see um, Cleveland and Tampa specifically do. Yeah, that's well said by both you guys. And it's, uh, you know, it's a terrifying thought there, too, that uh, we are talking about guys like Mitch Keller and, and you know, the likes of that being dealt at this deadline um, because he was supposed to be part of the window of contention after the successful trades that were made, uh, you know, in previous deadlines. But um, he, he will potentially not be part of the Pittsburgh Pirates following the month of July here. Some others. David Bednar, we expect, uh, I think, to be dealt as well here. And, and you said it, Nick. I mean, this is, you know, a lot of the times I think we um, we have a discussion based off of what we expect to happen because of the context we've been given from this front office. But let's talk about what you gentlemen would do here if you had to lay out the perfect deadline scenario for the Pirates. If you are now Ben Sherrington with the pieces that we know are probably dealt, what are you guys doing on July 31st? My first move is uh, putting a waiver claim or trading for Jared Walsh. Um, he was DFA'd by the Anaheim uh, Angels out there because with their recent deals. He's having a his numbers aren't great. He's had some off and on injury issues the last few years. But why I bring him up? He's a lefty power hitter. He was an All Star a couple years ago. He has years of control left. And we just traded away our first baseman. And G-Man Choi, as much as, you know, he hasn't played a ton here, he very well could be on the move too. So, and even if he's not, I believe he's a free agent at the end of the year. So, you know, I think it would be worth taking taking a flyer on on Walsh. And, you know, I think it would have to take a little bit of a deal because, like I said, he was an all-star two years ago. So I'd imagine that, you know, there's other teams who are definitely probably interested as well. But I think it could be one of those low-risk, high rewards for the Pirates. He's a lefty power hitter. Who knows what they could untap there. You don't exactly have a first baseman in the minors knocking at the door right now. So that is a path um, it, it, where I want them to add. Marty, I'll let you take the sell. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I was, you mentioned Walsh. I agree, Thax. I mean, at first base, what, what are you going to do other than maybe try Jared Triola, who has absolutely zero power there? Um, but no, it, man, I'm telling you, if I'm, if I'm Ben Charrington, I'm looking at the makeup of this organization, this roster. I'm calling the Texas Rangers, and I'm saying, here's Mitch Keller, here's David Bednar. Give me Evan Carter and Owen White. What do you think and take it from there? Because, I mean, I know Carter's a guy, Nick, you and I have talked about a lot, them trying to get in any sort of deal with Texas, going back to Brian Reynolds. Um, you you don't you, – you need another outfielder long-term. Um, Henry Davis's long-term home is not going to be in right field. I don't know if it's first base. I don't know if it's going to be designated a hitter. But it's not going to be in right field. Jack Sawinski cannot continue to play center field every day, in my opinion. Um, you've got to get something figured out out there. Um, or even the Arizona Diamondbacks, you know, that is a absolutely loaded farm system. Um, and their team looks like they're ready to be aggressive to add the control to major league paces. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to talk over you. I just, um, they're a team that has big league ready young pitching. Yes. That's a big reason why I think like if like, a guy the Pirates faced this year and got shut down by, um, Brandon Fought, is one of Arizona's top prospects. He has struggled some of the majors this year, but I think he's only made like eight major league starts. And like he's, he's a guy you could put right into your rotation. He's a top 50 prospect in baseball. Yeah. Too, so yeah. like, 
like you said, it, you know, that happens from time to time. <laughs> yeah. You know, there, there's a lot of young pitching there in Arizona. You could go after, I mean, obviously if Arizona comes up, you're going to hear people mention Jordan Lawler. You're going to hear people mention Drew Jones. You're not going to get either of those guys. At least I would assume you're not going to get either of those guys for Mitch Keller or David Bednar or even both. But th- those are two teams who have been tied to the Pirates. Those are two teams who need both starting pitching and bullpen help and are two teams who look like they're ready to be aggressive to add controllable players. And I think Texas and Arizona are two teams that if I'm Ben Charrington, um, I, I, I would be – I, I would be spending a lot of quality time on the phone with those front offices these next these, these next couple of days. You know, Mike Hazen, the general manager of the Arizona Diamondbacks and Texas Rangers general manager, former Pittsburgh Pirates pitcher Chris Young, are two guys that if I'm Ben Charrington, I am wearing their phones out these next 72 hours, seeing if I can get something done that benefits both sides. Yeah, that's – I think the two front offices, you know, we've heard the most about on Twitter, uh, you know, from reports. And just when you think about it, it makes the most sense there. Uh, as we begin to wrap it up, guys, general thoughts on this 2023 deadline. Um, you know, the fact that the Pirates find themselves in this position yet again. Uh, and anything else you're looking forward to just in general with, uh, you know, what's looking to be another pretty crazy deadline here. Yeah, I mean, first off, with the position the Pirates are in, as I said, what's most frustrating to me is you're four years into this and just here we are again um, with not a whole lot of reason for hope in 24. Um, As for the deadline, though, I will say it's definitely a good year to be a seller because if you look at the standings in the American League, I think the White Sox, Kansas City, Oakland, and Detroit are the only teams who for sure are going to sell. And in the National League, you're probably looking at Washington, Colorado, Pittsburgh, and St. Louis. Um well, with those teams, Washington's got a, Washington doesn't have much to give up. Most of their players are young guys; they think are their core. They're not going to move them. Colorado is just doesn't have much on their roster. Oakland's roster is decrepit. Kansas City's might be even worse somehow. So there, there aren't a lot of true sellers in this market with a lot to offer. Not that the Pirates have a ton, but I think that's going to contribute to a guy like Rich Hill carrying more value than people would think. That's going to contribute to what some of these relievers the Pirates have being able to have more trade value than you may think because this is a great seller's market right now because there aren't very many sellers. And of the sellers there are, there's two, three, four of them who don't really have a whole lot to trade away. Yeah, I mean, and part of that too is you have a lot of these teams like the Yankees and the Angels who are like kind of caught in that middle ground where they very well, if they, and the Cubs we could throw in there too, they could easily sell off some pieces if they wanted to and, but that would go also very, especially for the Yankees and like listening the angels that would not go over well. Um, So at the very least, uh, you know, they're probably not going to be like, it just seems like, like you said, there's not a lot of clear cut sellers. The pirates are one of them. They have some pieces to move. So, you know, they're going to be one of the first teams that teams are going to call. Um, so I, I expect them to be pretty active. Uh, and, and the one thing I would say to look forward to is um, just post-trade deadline, moving some of these people out and, you know, who they're going to replace them with. Yeah. yeah. It, as weird as it may sound, 
the Cubs being on a five-game winning streak is probably a really good thing for the Pirates because there's a good shot this winning streak is going to take Marcus Stroman off the market. It's going to take Cody Bellinger off the market. It's going to take some of their potential bullpen arms off the market, which could, you know, in, in turn create greater interest and greater value in some of these trade pieces the Pirates have because the Cubs are a team too. Spent a ton of money this past offseason. They are an organization whose fans expect them to win every year. And now with this winning streak they're on, I think they're only like three or four out of the wild card now. I, I have, a, unless things go super sideways for them the rest of this series against the Cardinals, which after last night's shit show between the two of them, I don't see happening. Um, I, I, I have a hard time seeing the Cubs sell now, and that could be very beneficial for the Pirates. It's huge. You know, and they built that thing towards purgatory. I think is how it seemed this offseason. They were kind of right in that area now to where they're, they're, now they're in purgatory. They really are. <laughs> and also, like with, with the Cubs too, like for them, they can sit there and consider like at the end of the season, of course, I don't know, can Stroman or Bellinger get qualified? They've been qualified before. Be- Bellinger can Stroman Stroman's still controlled through next year. Okay, so yeah, like if they want to move on from Stroman, they can do that this offseason. Correct. Bellinger, same deal. Yeah. But Bellinger, you can get a draft pick for Stroman. You can revisit moving in the offseason if you don't get an extension done. So at the very least, and we and we saw this year how important, you know, extra draft picks can be, you know, in terms of slot and getting different prospects. So it's something that has more value than it sounds, I think. Um and a lot, I think we've seen a lot more teams be okay with that uh, approach. So I, like you said, I don't think the Cubs are going to be selling. I think Bellinger. I think honestly, they would be they they should be looking to extend him, but um, it just makes a lot of sense for them. And mm-hmm. so I think that probably could also be an avenue for them, but. Yeah, I mean, the more teams out of it, the better for the Pirates. It's a great time to be a seller. Um, and it's it's especially great, too, because, you know, there's so many teams that um, are still kind of in contention. This is a weird year for Major League Baseball. There's a lot of, I don't know what you call it, it's bad teams. I mean, you look at Atlanta right now, I think they're, I don't know what, which website put out their percentages, but it was like a 27% chance to win the World Series coming out of, the all-star break. And I think that's because the league as a whole, um, you know, there's just not many teams that stand out right now, which I think creates, uh, you know, a false sense of hope for a lot of teams that maybe want to add a David Bednar, want to add a Mitch Keller, want to try to do something to figure it out here and and make the playoffs that are bigger now. Um, so it, it's, it's a good time to be a seller. The Pirates have pieces to sell. And uh, while it will be difficult, I think, to part ways with a guy like David Bednar and, of course, Mitch Keller as well, um, you know, as he has figured it out here in the last year and a half or so, it just makes so much sense. And it's going to be really exciting to see what kind of return they can net. One uh, one of the chips is already off the board, Carlos Santana to Milwaukee as Yanni Severino comes back there. But um, you know, the next few days, gentlemen, we uh, we will find out. What else the Pirates will, um, you know, be bringing back to Pittsburgh? Final thoughts as we wrap it up here on this 2023 trade deadline special. Um, my final thoughts is um, I'm, I'm mentally getting prepared for the amount of craziness that we're going to see on, on Twitter when some of these deals for the Pirates are going through. Um, you know, 
just from yesterday's deal, it was very exhausting to see the amount of opinions on a rental 37-year-old first baseman who's below defense. Who's below league average at the plate getting traded for an 18-year-old prospect that we pretty much know nothing about, you know? But I'm going to guess our front office knows more than we do about him. So with that, you know, let's try to be level-headed. That's my final thoughts. Like like we're saying with this Bednar Keller talk, you know, it it doesn't sound great for the Pirates to deal these guys, but at the same time, like it – we need to be somewhat realistic about it and we need to take a step back. And when you take a step back and look, you know, like we said, Keller, you know, he, he makes sense as a trade candidate more than, you know, you, you would first think. So just be prepared for that. And let's try to, you know, try to um, be patient on, on the, the returns too. Look at Oviedo. Oviedo was a bust last year, right? Like, oh, like he's a bullpen guy. Now he's in our rotation. And like, yeah, he has some blowups. But at the end of the day, this is his first full season as a starter in a couple years. Like he, this, he's still under what? He's like 25, I think, 24. Like, you know, he's he's you can see signs of development there. If he's throwing 98 in the fifth inning, sixth inning, you got to stick with him in the rotation as far as I'm concerned. So my point is be patient on the returns, okay? Because you don't know. There's reasons why, like I said earlier, the trade for Severino, clearly the front office wanted him specifically for some reason, okay? And should you trust the front office at this point? I don't know, you know? A lot of people say no. Some say yes. I'm kind of in the middle where it's like, you know, we're seeing some good stuff. We're seeing some good players coming up, but also some head-scratching stuff still too. So regardless, just understand that there's there's a reason that they're going to acquire the player they're going to acquire probably. Patience is key. Um, you know, and it's like, look at this, look at the drafts. I think it would have been easy to get impatient in 21. Uh, but it, it all works out. It's been um, difficult, I think, to find patience with this front office at times, but uh, you, you just have to trust in, in what they're doing. Um, and I think the moral of the episode even is just, uh, is hey, you have to do this a certain way. You want to win games like Tampa. Uh, you want to, you know, play small market baseball at a high level. You have to do things like trading David Bednar, things like trading Mitch Keller, um, you know, you got to get rid of your feelings and you have to get some of this stuff done here. I think we're going to see it uh, at least with David Bednar. And the more we talk about it, guys, I think Mitch Keller is more than realistic as well. I'm um, going to be so much fun to, to follow this day as a whole. If you're a fan of major league baseball, cause it's always so intense. There's always so much that goes on and um, you know, just a fun day. Like you said on Twitter there as well. So hopefully, uh, hopefully, Nobody gets too upset, but we are going to be there to, to break it all down for you and conversate with you on Twitter as well, at Rumbunter. Go check us out, guys. Be sure to hit us with the follow as well. And we're going to be writing about everything going on in Pirates Baseball with this trade deadline on rumbunter.com as well. So check us out there. Uh, going to have previews coming up throughout the weekend as well as we lead up. Coming up this Tuesday, 6 p.m., 
Guys, go check us out there at runletter.com. From Marty Leap and Nick Caparoso, my name is Trey Yannity. The 2023 MLB trade deadline is here. The Pittsburgh Pirates might have a new look into the month of August. We'll be back next week to break it all down and to preview everything else coming up with this, the end of this 2023 season. But until then, hope you guys have a great weekend. Let's go Bucks. Let's go get some trades done. MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.